Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. Hi, it's Wednesday afternoon, and I'm going to try to do the Haftorah today um, for Lech Lecha. Today's uh, podcast is being sponsored by Shmuel Yudinowitz, uh, who I saw on my show the other day, and it's in honor of his nephews, that we sung, Tess had a bar mitzvah, Penny, Penny's bar mitzvah, and of course also, he's always a foolish lamb for his father, my very good friend, Paris Dinowitz, Paris Abram Ben Gittel, they really should have a foolish lamb, Lach Lima, Lach Prosa, Lach Zikul, Lach Yosef, he needs a, a lot of Rachman, and hopefully he'll get it. Today's, Haftorah, uh, uh, is a, kind of strange, but not really. I think it tells you very interesting things about Avinu, which is not what you would expect, at least to me, from the military perspective. Today's Avtorah, of course, starts, this is the famous second half of chapter 40 in the book of Isaiah. Note that doesn't mean anything to you. That means something to people that know. And this is Lama Summer Yaakov, Yisrael. This is actually, I've told you many times, the Avtorah has extra stuff in it sometimes, and the heart of it lies within the paragraph. We have here is the end of chapter 40. Chapter 40 in Shayol is the beginning of the positive. The book of Isaiah is in two halves, more or less. The first half is what we call negative, like Shabbos uh, Chazon, and, you know, cussing out the Jews for all their sins. Plenty of that. The second half is a positive, predicting the glorious future. Mashiach time, things like that. That's why for the negative during the three weeks, you do the first from the first half. And then from the Shiva to Nechemta, the Haftarahs of Consolation, you do from the second half of the book of Isaiah. So, Shabbos Nachamu, Nachamu, Nachamu Ami. That's the first half of the chapter we're looking at. I realize the chapters are made by the guy, but nevertheless, it gives you an idea what we're talking about. And you have to understand, this is Yeshayahu. If you're from, you're saying this is a prophet who's predicting things hundreds and hundreds of years ahead, and frankly, thousands of years ahead. And so, in his time, it didn't happen. And he just finished in the first half of the book talking about all the churban that's coming. And you and I know the churban certainly came. And all the bad stuff. But just when the Jews say, oh, after this holocaust or that disaster, it can't get better. And we're all messed up, we're all screwed over. He said, no, it's not true. You know, Hashem will come through in the end. And people are, you know, if you're in the middle of Auschwitz, it's something that's hard to believe. And he says, don't don't be like that. Loma Semer Yaakov was Dabi Yisrael. Why should the Jewish people say, Nistra Darkim Hashem? My past is hidden from the Lord. No, it's obviously God is asleep at the switch. He's not watching what's happening to us. And that which is right by me is just passed by God, meaning disregarded by Hashem. Don't say that. Hashem sees everything. And I, the prophet, am telling you, is all part of a plan. God created the whole world. He knows everything. There's no limit to his understanding and whatever. Now, that's simply the, I would say, the intro. But now comes the main part, which is Nogea to our parasha, which is about Armavina, about Lechachon. And here's the interesting things. Let me take a look in Hebrew and tell you how it works in English. Hachrisha like Gain, 
החריש של העיר, ולא מייחלים לכוח, ייגשו אז ידבר יחדיו למשמת נקרבו. So, uh, basically he's saying like this. Um, let's see here, beginning chapter 41. Hachrishlam, you island, or say Goyim, right? It means islands, but it means different nations. Hachrishlam, be silent before me. Just shut up and let me talk. And the uh, nations will take strength, okay? Which means, get ready to listen what I have to say. Okay. Uh, let's let's discuss this in a um, logical way as we were presenting different arguments to a judge. I'm going to show you the side that says that Hashem has a special providence for Klal Yisrael, and He wouldn't let us get destroyed. And the reason is, the proof is, the whole history of the Jewish people starting from Avraham Avinu, and that God gave him Hashkacha Pratis, and he went through a lot of trouble to help out Avram. And he wouldn't do that so that simply in 1940 all the Jews would be killed. Or in the 1492. Or in 70 AD. You know what I mean? It doesn't make any sense. If Hashem took all this time to make Avram happen, he wouldn't go in and say, well, you know, at the end the Taka didn't work out. It kids Taka get destroyed. So all that stuff I put into you in Lech Lechon, was a waste of time. Hashem does not operate that way. Okay? Me, Heir, me, Mizrach. Who roused the man from the east? Which, this is unfortunate, but the classic interpretation of the Medrash Shabbat, Rashi says it. Here, give me the Rashi here. Um, it's Avram Avinu. You see? The guy who was summoned from the east was Abraham when it said, Lech Lecha Miyarzcha Meladcha Mbisabicha Elor Tzasherecha. Here. Which Rashi says means Avram I invested, I got invested in, in Abraham and his children a long time ago. And I got him from point A to point B. He used to live in Iraq, in Ur Qasdim, and I got him to walk all the way to Eretzisro, right? Me here, me miserable sacred ragol. Yitin the fun of goyim lochem yard. Yitin cover carbo kikashnei dukashto. Now here's the point. A lot of times you don't necessarily pay attention to this when you study parshas lachacha. But Avram had a funny situation. I'm not going to get involved with the, the seder olam and the different chronologies. I've done that in the past. I recall that distinctly. So if you're interested in Chronological stuff, you go back last year or two years ago, whatever. Push it. Avram shows up in Israel. The minute he shows up, things are weird. There's a famine. He has to run away to Egypt. He has these weird adventures and misadventures with Parob. By the time it's over, he comes back rich, richer than ever before. But just when he comes back, and it's about to settle down, as, as we say today, invest the money, right? comes World War Two, World War Three, World War Four. I'm talking about the world war, which is described in Pashalechacha. The Hainu, the four kings against the five kings. Agreed? The four kings against the five kings. You know, Avram walked into a battle zone. Uh, wait a minute, I thought God told him, go to a land and I'll take care of you. 
So I would understand that to mean I'll take you to a, 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 a desert island, a treasure island, and everything will be gavaldic, and things will be great. And you'll sit down and you build up a business, and you'll attract people through your chesed and your monotheism and blah, blah, blah. Uh-uh. I dropped you in the middle of a World War One zone. Because where Abraham was located, the four kings were battling the five. Now, to be perfectly honest, it never quite hit him. In other words, the war zone, which is described in great detail in Pasha's Lechacha, and if you want to have an idea, get the R.E. Capital Chumash. He's got a nice map. And you'll see, Vayakos are foreign bashtas, Karnayim, Vesazazimbaum, Vesimakiri, that there was an invasion, let's say from Syria. I mean, they originated in Iraq, but they came down from Syria. On the other side of the Jordan, in the country of Jordan, to the Avery Yarden, they had all these battles, which they won, and smashed and pillaged and raped and killed and destroyed, coming down the line on the other side of the Jordan River. Remember, at that time, there was no um, Dead Sea. And so then they swung around into what you and I would call today the Dead Sea. But of course, it was Sodoma, Murrah, Adam, Swam, and all that. And they smashed and bashed and destroyed and killed and pillaged and raped those cities, including Lot. And then they, instead of proceeding forward, so I think most of you know what I'm talking about when you think the map of Israel. Imagine if you're driving down, uh, and I told you, I want you to drive from Jordan into Eretz Israel, into the state of Israel. And don't take a, 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 a bridge over the Jordan River. So you'd have to just drive all the way down to Dead Sea and come around the other side. So you'd be driving south, south, and then you'd make a turn, I guess, to the left, or maybe if you're driving to your right, meaning you'd head westward around the bottom of the Dead Sea. And if you wanted to, then you'd come up and head north into Israel proper. So in those days, just keep in mind, the Dead Sea didn't exist. It was a, it was a, the area of Sodom and the other four cities. And so the enemy, when they got to the bottom of the Jordan River, swung around, you know, westward, and smashed into those cities and conquered them. And as you know, took all everybody's slaves and captives. And you can imagine how they treated them. And took all their money, tainly or chush. You know, right? And uh, now, they could have proceeded forward and run into Avram. Because Avram was in Elon Imamri, in, in Hebron. How far away is Hebron from the Dead Sea? Or in those days from Sodom and Amor, not far. But instead, they turned north. And headed back home. And they must have had a very long line of march, the four kings. Gedar Omer and his Hebra. And just imagine like a movie. The, the, the lines of the army are stretching for miles and miles. Because they're coming back victorious. With slaves and booty. And gold and silver and cattle and all kinds of junk. And they're heading northward. Now, there is a opinion in Chazal that they were going after them. But I don't think the Haftar is going with that. Ishayot. What happens at that point? Avram could have said, there must have been a miscommunication over here. Because I was told to go, I'm going to come to Eretz Yisrael, to Canaan, and everything will be great. Instead, right near me is raging World War III. You understand? Uh, and, if Avram imagined that he'd be able to duck it, and maybe that's what he was thinking, he said, listen, Hashem is arranging matters that the population here is getting wiped out or carried off into slavery. Very good. I'll be the only guy left. Right? Nothing wrong with that. 
So the whole area of Sodom and Amara is now empty. It's a ghost town. Gadarlam and these guys took everything with them. And they're marching north. So it's good for me. I come on, just take it all over. You understand? I take it all over. But then things got screwed up because they said Lot is among them, as we know. And Avram, being Avram, felt a moral obligation to go and try to rescue Lot. And the only way he can try to rescue Lot is by smashing the enemy. He felt. And so Avram finds himself in World War Three. Now, why didn't he say, wait a minute, this is when I wanted to promise? Unless Avram said, this must be part of Hashem's plan. It was the Ishamuna. And so, who called this guy from the east? And God summoned him, said he would smash the guy, that God will give before him whole nations, and will bust up these kings, that he would make his sword, he turn him into dust, and his bow and arrow would turn him into, I don't know, uh, you know, straw. So in other words, Avram smashed through these four kings like a nice new butter, even though he was totally outnumbered. He had 300 men. Forget the Eliezer part. Let's go, he had 300 men, 318. Still, the enemy had a much larger army. And the prophet Isaiah in Harpasha is going this in detail. Year de fame, he would chase after them, and he would take losses, and he was outnumbered. Yahweh Shalom. No, no, he made it through with Shalom. And here's something extremely interesting to me. And how did he do it? I spoke about it before. How did Avram take these guys out? He didn't take them in a head-on battle. That would be stupid militarily. Instead, he hit them in night raids. Get it? And he did unexpected attacks, like the Indians did to General Braddock in the French and Indian War, that kind of thing. Like Arminius did to the Roman legions in the year 9. He hit them with, the, you know, guerrilla attacks. Now, look what Rashi interprets this. What does it mean when it says, because I repeat, for some reason in our Haftarah, they're taking the trouble to describe over here in poetic form the Battle of the Four and Five Kings, which obviously shows you this is how Avram became famous. And this might have been part of God's plan to exalt him and made him a big deal, a big cheese, which it did do. And that shows you that it was all part of the plan. And therefore the prophet is implying if this, if God went to all this trouble to set up a whole scenario for Avram, then believe me, it doesn't make any sense that he would wipe out the Jews later on with the Corbin bias or an Inquisition or Hitler or something like that. So you're to him, Yavor Shalom. He's chasing them, but he'll make it in peace. Orach Baraglov Lo Yovo. How do you translate that? Orach Baraglov Lo Yovo. It's one of those Hebrew phrases that does not have a good translation. But Rashi says, Derech Asher Lo Ba Ba Kodem Lachem Baraglov. Right? So this is fascinating. Avram, Abraham over here, defeated the enemy by surprising them, by marching through impassable roads that nobody ever had done before, and therefore it was completely unexpected that the attack would come from that quarter. You get it? Avram was no dummy. They had a small army. He was a smart cookie. By the way, who says Avram had not learned to be a warrior back in Urkazim? I don't know. You know, it sounds like he knew what he's doing. Right? I mean, it sounds like you, like you say today, the guy was not unfamiliar with guns. <laughs> you know? He talked a nice game, and he ran to Lababa's house, and, you know, he had a chesed and Aishel and all the rest of it. But you could talk to him about shotguns. <laughs> you could talk to him about crossbows. And so look what he did. I mean, it, it, it's true what I'm saying. Consider well. He said, That means he, he supplied him with weapons. So basically, I'm saying like this. 
Usually I'm a peaceful guy. I don't bother anybody. But if necessary, open the case <laughs> and take out those Browning automatics, you know, the BARs. So where the howitzers. So it says like this. He he went and he said, I guess, how am I going to attack to Darla Omer's army? And if you know the geography, better yet, the topography, which is not so hard. And if you're interested in what I'm saying, look it up online. Unless you have one of those topographical maps. I used to have one under where it went. And you know, Eretz Israel is a funny topography. Obviously, on the seashore, the Mediterranean Sea, it's the sea level. Duh. But you go in 10, 20 miles, less, and you have those big hills that run from top to bottom. Correct? Imagine, to make this simple, if you got off the boat at Tel Aviv and you then proceeded, drove to your shoreline, you can start going up the hills, right? So that shows you that the center of Israel is like one big spine full of hills and, and, and mountains. But then when you go by that, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 miles, whatever, 40 miles, I know how big it is. Then you come to the exact opposite, the Jordan River Valley. Biggest AR name, which, as you know, is the lowest place in the world. It gets down to the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place in the world, a mile below sea level. So, um, that's the terrain you have to fight the enemy. The army of Kedar Lomer and his buddies are marching northward, triumphant, drunk with victory, beside it. And Avrab is going to hit him at night. But they're armed. And so he has to hit him when they don't expect it. That's the essence of war. Read the Sun Tzu. And he finds paths. He finds places that nobody was ever there before. Like we say today, impossible path. Right? And he said, well, because it's impossible, they'll have no um, pickets and, and uh, lookouts. And therefore, I'll be able to totally surprise them. And smash the heck out of them. And kill everybody and rescue the hostages. I'll rescue Lot and these other guys. So Hashem arranged matters that Abram should be able to surprise and outflank and, and destroy the enemy through repeated night attacks. And he could have finished them off until he got to tell Don, you know, Hashem is smaller domestic. But for certain reasons, I won't go, I, I've talked about it before, he didn't do that. But he busted them pretty heavy. Let me put it this way. By the time he was finished with them, they weren't tangling with him anymore. Because you don't find Kedar Lomer organized a revenge attack. Um, Kedar Lomer says, like, America after Vietnam, we're out of here. Or like Biden after Afghanistan, we're out of here. Okay? So, Oruch Barak Lo You know who did this, by the way? Israel. In 1949, they had the Independence War in 48, which obviously started, well, it started before May 14th, 1948. But it swung in the high gear then. And one of the things... In late 1948 and early 49, Israel had to face the Egyptian army. And the Egyptian army was dug in very well. And uh, how are you going to attack them without losing a lot of men? And the head of the Israeli army at that time, Yiga El Yadin, who was an archaeologist, he studied the old archaeology junk. And he said in a certain place, in the Negev, there's a road that everybody's forgot about. It was a Roman road long ago. It hasn't been for a long time. And Lamaisa, even though it looks like it's impassable, but I think that we can cross an army with tanks and armored carts and all that junk uh, over there and completely surprise the Arabs and take them in the back. 
if I remember correctly, this was like at Nitsana. Have you ever been there? Nitsana. It's on the border between Israel and the Sinai Desert. Al-Alja, the Arabs call it. And he totally surrounded, surprised and broke him from the rear and captured him. Then they went on a roll north. This is very sad what I'm about to say. The Israelis were on a roll north. I think it's called Operation Kharev in January 49. And they were going to cut off. They were going to drive to uh, the top of Sinai and then cut off the Egyptians who were army, which was in the Gaza Strip and forced them to surrender. And Israel would have taken over the Gaza Strip and for all I know, kicked out the Arabs there and Truman, President Truman, stopped them for a bunch of reasons. And so it didn't happen. But Avram, it happened. So look what a smart warrior Abraham was. That's what he's trying to say. Uh, uh, what do you call it? And you're the famous Shalom. Me, Paul, also Korea, Rosh. And this was all done by Korea, Rosh. God is the one who, who foresees. He's already written the playbook before it happens. This is the Jewish view of the future. It's already written. It's just you and I don't know which 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 part of the play we're in. You know, it may be that the Mashiach is coming tomorrow because that was in the playbook. Now, As a result, all these faraway peoples heard about it and they came to Avram. Now, what was the reason Avram won? Because these guys believed in idols. The carpenter encouraged the goldsmith. Machli Pachis is home pawn. The the hammer guy encouraged the one who strikes the anvil. Omer Devik Tofu. They said it's a good soldering, you know. No, let's put it this way. The guy checked in every day from the idol maker's house. He said, "How's the idol going?" It's a Devik Tofu. It's working. And they put in the right number of nails so that the idol wouldn't fall apart. That's who these guys were. They lived in a world of idolatry, and they were too stupid to realize they're making the, the, the images, and they're talking about it like in business. You know, give me a, a smooth uh, wooden finish. I want some from uh, uh, alabaster. But once they take it out, they might as well start bowing down to it. They made that leap of faith, whereas we would, as Samuel Coles called it more accurately, they, they made that willing suspension of disbelief which is essential, particularly in idolatry. On the other hand, But you, the Christ, aren't like that. You're supposed to be the children of Avram. I called Avram from the four ends of the world. I've taken care of you, and I will take care of you. I will not, I chose you, and I won't dump you. So again, the prophet Yeshayel is trying to talk about the Jews in the future, you and I, and maybe in the future beyond us. And he's saying the whole story of Avram and God's promise to Avram was a permanent promise. And God said over and over again to Avram, don't be scared. Don't freak out, because I'm on your side. I strengthen you, I help you. I'll always be there with my right hand. Right? I, what about all the enemies? What about all the anti-Semites? Starting from the Darla Umber down to Hitler. They'll be busted and they'll be ashamed. Those who go against you. They'll be wiped out. 
Hashem says, the prophet says, the God promises, those who mess with you will be destroyed. And believe me, they'll be totally wiped out. The people that mess with you will be so gone, you won't know where they are. Let's put it this way. What happened to all the ancient people? Where's the Roman Empire? You know, they messed us over a bit. Where's the Roman Empire today? Where is the Third Reich? You know, you see what I'm saying. Those who war against you will be an ayin and an ephes. And so you see, this is all by way of encouragement. So they're analyzing the story of Avram in this Haftarah by way of a chizik and saying that you're supposed to derive from here from the Avram story that we, the Jewish people, as a people, have a guarantee. Right? Have a grace. Whatever we do, we can't be destroyed. Even if we make a golden calf, we can be busted a little bit, but we can't be destroyed. Altiri told us, Yaakov and Israel, and that's why it concludes with the famous image. Don't be afraid. Altiri told us, Yaakov, you little worm of Jacob. Because the Jewish people always have told off. Even Israel today, with all of its boasting and its H bombs, all the rest of it, is holding on by its skin. You know that. Skin of its teeth. We're always told us, Yaakov. That's the way we're. Our destiny is not to be, you know, some giant uh, creature. Nobody talks about the Jewish elephant, <laughs> the Jewish dragon. It's the Jewish worm, Azarticha. But that's God's plan. And even though, in spite of the fact that we're weak, we'll win. I'm changing you into a threshing sledge, which means one of these implements with sharp teeth. And you will, and even though you're small, you'll crush the mountains. Now you'll tell me like this: How can somebody with a, like a, I guess like you say, not a lawnmower? What am I thinking of? You know, um, you know, to cut the branches, not a weed whacker, you know, a metal thing, whatever it is. You know what I mean? You know, like a saw that goes around. So it'll come to me. I made you into a powerful saw. Bob Pipios with different teeth, with sharp teeth. And look at this. You, the little Jewish people who just have a little, oh, what is it? Um, you know, <laughs> the word escapes me. You know, the, the, the implement you use, you know, for, for cutting down branches and things like that. This stupid little thing will, will, will shave through a mountain. You see this? With this little thing, you'll thresh a mountain. You'll crush them and make it like chaff. So imagine if me, myself and I, came with one of these things I bought in the store, in Heckinger's or something, and we go to Mount Everest. I'm a nut. <laughs> and I start putting it against the mountain. Actually, the, the rocks in the mountain will, will, will mess up the teeth. No, they won't. I'll saw through the mountain, and by the time I'm finished, Mount Everest won't be there anymore. That is the metaphor he uses for the survival of Klai Yisrael and the destruction of its enemies. Uh, which is quite a metaphor. Tizrein Baruch They'll smash him and the wind will carry it away. Meaning you'll reduce whole Mount Everest to a pile of, of, of dust and next wind that comes away will be there and you won't see anything that left over from them. The enemies will be totally wiped out. So it's a picker-upper 
in the sense that it says if you study the history of the Yavos, especially Avram, and you're intelligent, you'll say to yourself, why would God have invested so much time in Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov unless he had long-term plans? If Yaakov's children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and so forth were destined to totally mess up, as a result be wiped out, then Hashem wouldn't have invested the amount of time and trouble and given Abraham the remarkable nisim that he did, uh, unless he said, this is a long term. This is long term. So it's just an interesting way to study the Haftarah. And sometimes, as I just showed you before, you can get from a Haftarah something you wouldn't know in the Pasha. Because we wonder how exactly did Abraham defeat such a large army when he had such a small army. And even though it does say he attacked him at night, even so, he's so outnumbered. But he just told us like this. Avram was a very clever guy, and he looked at mountain paths and roads that seemed impassable, and he passed his forces through them. And therefore, the Kedar Lomer gang was completely unsuspecting and were wiped out. I'm sure somebody smart could expand this to talk about Hitler and all these other sorts of things during the, down the centuries, but I'm satisfied with the push-up shot, and I think he should also. So with that, once again, I want to wish a, a very much again a foolish layman to, uh, to parents, my parents, you know, it's Pesach and Mazel Tov to the Adobe family. And uh, I want to thank Shmuley. And with that, I wish you all a good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.com dot rabbi david for sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com